Um, this um, this year in Parshas Noach is dedicated in the memory of my wife's uncle, uh, David Ben Moshe Yosef. He was an exceptional human being, and he actually epitomized what this year is about. You'll see what I mean. Um, should be in the Louis for his neshama. So. I want to share with you a really difficult story. Um, you know, the big question of this week's parsha is what went wrong? Like, we just started. And last week was Breshit. The world is created. Adam and Chava. Okay, they messed up. They ate from the tree. This tree, that tree. Okay, so you get kicked out of Ganeid. It's not a big deal. You got the whole world to have fun in. Cain comes along. There's a murder, but... But then it seems to be like we're going to start over. Like we're going to get a new head start. Anybody know what significant event happens? There are two significant events, actually. Uh, but one that we're going to speak about at the end of last week's Parsha is... They make a tower. No, no, no. That's this week's Parsha. End of last week's Parsha. Noach is born. Noach is born. Noach is like, yeah, the whole world's a mess, but Noach is born. Why is Noach named Noach? Right? Lemech, his father, names him. Anybody know? Ze, yeah? Zenia nachameinu mi maaseinu umeitzvon yadeinu. Noach is going to be a nechama. He's going to turn things around. He's going to change everything. By the way, where else do I find that the concept of nechama represents change. Because Nechama, we usually take to mean comfort. Why do we call it change? Hashem literally changes the verdict. It's a difficult question. How does Hashem change his mind? But that's for our tefillah So, Noach's going to change the world. And then, Hashem says, you know what, I'm done. I'm just done. And he destroys the world. How did that happen? Why does the world get destroyed? Anybody? What's going on in the world? Ki Because the evil of mankind is great in the land. Right? And what happens in the world? Hamas. Hamas most probably means violence. That's interesting, by the way, that Hamas means violence, but that's for also for another time. And, um, and it's a mess. And I, I, I think we gloss over this. So I want to tell you one of the most difficult stories I ever heard that I think is worth taking a moment to think about as we get into Parshat Noach. I uh, used to, many years ago, I used to teach in Camp Moshevah in the summers. And there was a woman, a doctor, a pediatrician from Boston, her name was Minna Wasserman. She was the niece of Rav Elchanan Wasserman. She is the niece of Rav Elchanan Wasserman. who was one of the Gdole Ador of the last generation. He was a common cover of the Chafetz Chaim, and we will for sure talk about him this year. And um, when I... First of all, she's an amazing human being, and, and a, a, really an exceptional person. And when I found out that she was Rav Elchanan's niece and her father, you know, Rav Simcha and whatever else... So I, or maybe it was great niece, I think it might have the great niece of Rav Khanan. So I was fascinated by her stories and the Holocaust stories that came from her family. 
And now one year on Tisha B'Av, she went to speak to the kids from Machal, which is like sort of the summer after ninth grade. And she told them the story actually of her mother. And there was a piece of that story that it just, it burned myself into my brain. And every year on Tisha B'Av on Yom HaShoah, I think of this story. Her mother was, had a new baby. And she had a friend who also had a new baby. And they were in the ghetto. And they were in their apartment on a third floor of a building. You ever see Schindler's List? You remember that scene where they're doing an action and they're clearing out two or three blocks and people are hiding in the piano and whatever they can and the Nazis are coming in? So her mother is going through that moment. There's an action and they're trying to stay quiet in their little apartment. And they can hear banging and doors and screams and shooting. And it's terrifying. Your whole world is upside down. Madness. And all of a sudden, two SS soldiers burst into the room, kick open the door, and they see her with her friend. And the friend is literally nursing her baby. Now, you couldn't pick an image that more depict, depicts life and mercy than a mother nursing her baby. That is the... When, when literature wants to depict life, motherhood, mercy, that's what they choose. Right? Okay. That's what it's talking about. And this Nazi and his friends start kibitzing. And they're laughing. And he makes a bet with his fellow soldier. And he grabs the baby by the legs and he swings him in the air and he smashes him against the wall. And of course, it's an infant. And he takes what's left of this baby and he throws it back in its mother's lap. In its mother's lap. He won the bet. Only took him one shot. And Minawasim's mother is sitting there and she's staring at this soldier and she puts on a defiant look and for some reason that neither her nor her mother will ever understand, they laugh and walk out of the room. True story. And she has a whole story, and I, I remember being left with this image. And when I get to this pasuk, Hamas, the world was filled with violence, that human beings became animals. That's what it means. Human beings became animals. That's what the flood is. The flood is that the world reached a point that was so full of violence, there's no point to having a world. Right? If Hashem comes along and says, Nazi Germany needs to be destroyed, it's because an entire nation became so immersed in violence, there's no point to having such a nation. And there are many Makaros for this. That seems to be the story of the flood. And when the flood's over, so Noach survives. Noach is an ish tzaddik. Noach is a tamim. Noach matzachein b'nei Hashem. Right? Noach is saved. He's a tzaddik. He's, he's perfect or he's pure or he's whole. And he has chen. We'll get back to what chen is if, maybe if we get a chance. And so he takes his family into the ark. Now, what's interesting about this is that Hashem says, I'm going to destroy the world, but He doesn't destroy the world. He doesn't really destroy the world. 
What he says is the world needs a restart. And Noach is going to give the world a restart. Now there's a fascinating question on this story. What's with the animals? Like, Hashem tells Noach to take two of each animal and put them in the teva, in the ark. Ark is not exactly a teva, but we're going to call it an ark just because it's easier. Okay? So we're going to take two of each animal we're going to put them in the ark. We're going to take seven of the, oh, of the pure animals, the kosher animals, and that's a whole other discussion. Why does he put animals in the ark? Obviously, to save the animals. The clear implication then is that the animals that aren't in the ark, just like the humans that aren't in the ark, are going to be destroyed. Why are the animals going to be destroyed? Because the world is filled with violence. What does the world being filled with violence have to do with the animals? Why do we have to kill all the puppies? It makes no sense. First question. Second question. What's the other major story in this parsha? Hmm? Migdal Bavel. By the way, is it interesting to me? You know, one of the challenges with giving Shir and Parsha is there's so many topics. It's hard to keep yourself contained. But um, <clears throat> it is interesting to me that the story is called by everyone Migdal Bavel. What could it, maybe should it have been called? Fayi Benasami Kadem. Fayomru Ishel. Sorry. Havanivnelanu Iru Migdal. We're going to build a city and a tower. They want to build, this story is about building a city and a tower. Now it would seem to me that building a city is a bigger deal than building a tower. So why is this called Migdal Bavel? It should be Iru Migdal Bavel, or it should really be Iru Migdal So there are some commentaries, the Medrash Rabbah says, they built up a pillar in case the world falls down, they'll hold it up. They want to, they want to unify mankind, they want to, we'll get into that. What is this story doing in Parshas Noach? This would seem to be a completely different story. Right? Totally different story. Totally different topic. This is a different story. In fact, it's much more difficult to figure out what exactly goes wrong in the story of Migdal Bava. Okay? Um, they, they start off Right? Vayhi kol ha'aretz, safa achat, v'tvarim achadim. Everybody talks the same language. Let me ask you a question. Is that good or bad? I mean, I think that's awesome. You know? For many years, I toyed with learning Arabic. I learned certain pieces of Arabic. You know, you're in the army, you learn what jibawiyah means. Bring your identity papers, ruchel bet, go home. But, but I don't really know Arabic. Why would I want to learn Arabic? Because then I could talk to Arabs. And when you can't talk to people you lose the ability to make peace with them. Right? You know, by the way, who figured this out? The Nazis figured this out. Okay? They brought Ukrainian guards to the ghetto of Warsaw. All the ghettos, almost all the ghettos, Lodz, Warsaw, Vilna, they had SS from other countries. Why? Because then the Jews and the guards couldn't speak the same language. And if you can't speak the language of your tormentor, you can't shmuchel him, you can't develop a relationship with him. It made it that much more difficult, right? So having one language brings us together. And bemet, right? Value, they had dvarim achadim, right? Now, this is interesting. Mita Bavel, they do some terrible thing. And because of some terrible thing, they get scattered. Now, Rashi asked the question, right? If you're going to... I mean, this is the story of Noah. 
So if they are rebelling against God, which is one possibility, they should be destroyed. Why aren't the people of Migdal Bavel destroyed, obviously? Because Hashem, Hashem promised I'm never going to bring him a bull. That's not really a good answer. First of all, Hashem has lots of other ways to destroy them. Like, if, if Hashem is sharp, they'll say, I, didn't, I said I'm not going to bring a flood, but firestorms are so much fun! Bring an earthquake! Right? Hashem will bring an earthquake against Korach. Why, why not destroy me? That would be such a great shear. You know? The earth can't tolerate this. It gets swallowed up by the earth. They're too physical. They're swallowed up by the earth. I think of a great shear. Can't give it because Hashem doesn't do it. So Rashi actually notices this. And Rashi gives a very different answer. Rashi says... Um, this is Rashi on Perek Yud Aleph Pasuk Tet 11.9 right which is more difficult which was worse of the of the uh, flood generation or the Migdal Bavel generation Rashi seems to be of the opinion, right? Nasela and Hashem are going to make for ourselves a name that they want to supersede God. That they're building a tower up into the heavens because maybe post in the post-Diluvian world, after the flood, they don't trust God. They're angry at God. Or maybe, maybe they want to be better than God or bigger than God. So maybe they're pagans and God is just one God and we've got other gods. We're going to build a tower. We're going to be strong. We're going to build up the heavens. We're going to be God. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of source material that would suggest that that might be part of the problem here. So the Dora Flaga, the Dora of Migdal Bava, the generation of Migdal Bava, they're rebelling against God. The generation of the flood didn't rebel against God. They just fought with their fellow man. So it would seem that Migdal Bava is much worse. Right? The Elu Nishtafu, but the door of... The generation of the flood was completely destroyed. They were swept away by the flood. These were not destroyed. Why are they not destroyed? They were robbers in the generation of the flood. Violent robbery. And they were constantly in conflict with each other. And that's why they were destroyed. They lived, by the way, historically... Yeah, Barbanel talks about this. Many of the Mepharshim talk about this. In bands. Right? In the generations from Adam to Noach, there were no cities. Cain tries to build a city. That's an interesting story. They lived as hunter-gatherers in packs and bands. They had no centralized society. And they fought violently against each other. Nimrod had a group that he controlled, and they fought against the other groups. It was all violence. Right? Ve'elu you but in the generation of the flood, they loved each other. And they act, they had, they, had, they had wonderful, I guess, social norms. Friendship, camaraderie. You can't build a tower if you don't get along with each other. They had only one language. They shared all the same ideas. Says Rashi, you learn from this that arguments, conflict, is what Hashem can't tolerate, but Hashem loves peace. They don't get destroyed because they practice peace. What then is the obvious question? So what's the consequence of whatever they do? Hashem splits them up. So that makes no sense. The one thing that's going for them is that they're together. Why would Hashem split them up? 
what is this all about? What does this story of Migdal Bavel have to do with the flood? Right? And by the way, I don't know if we'll get to this. Where were they going? It says, when they went from the east. So, if they're going from the east, they're heading west. Where are they going to? Why do they have to go anywhere? What exactly is this journey? Right? They find a valley. Now, pshat is that they want to be farmers. Now, if you're a farmer, it doesn't make sense to live on the mountain, right? Because nothing grows on the mountain. Real growth comes from the valleys. It comes from the valleys of life, the painful episodes we have, and it comes practically from the valley. Take, go into the Jordan Valley, right? 70% of Jordan's agriculture is in the Jordan Valley because that's where you find agriculture. What's the problem with that theory? They're not, they're not farmers. They're building a city. They're urban dwellers. They're building bricks. They're industrial. So why do they have to go to a valley? What's that about? Right? And by the way, I'm not sure we're going to get to this either. Why is it important how they build? There's a whole discussion here. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make fire, and we're going to build a kiln, and we're going to bake bricks, and we're going to use the bricks to make... Bu- you know? never says anywhere in the Torah how people use toilet paper. You know why? Because it's not important. It never says anywhere in the Torah, right, how people made chilled. It would be great if you had chilled with the rice, but they don't. Because it's not important. Why is it important how they build their buildings? Okay. There's something about the building process which is central to the entire issue here. Okay. So why does Hashem split them up? So it seems that in the Parsha of Noah, Parsha of Noah is a transition Parsha. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos and Parakei says there are ten generations from Adam until... Noah, and there are ten generations of Noah until Avram. So we start the world with Adam, and that's a mess. We end up with Avram, and that's going to be good. The Jewish people, we're going to be a light, we're going to, we can turn the world around. And somehow we have to transition from the world of Adam, which was a mess, to the world of Avraham, where there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. And who is the central linchpin to this transition? Noah. So let's understand this. What's the difference between the world before the flood and the world after the flood? Now, I want you to know, this alone could be a long shear. I'm just going to give you one or two examples because I want to get to a point. And I've told you before, I think less is more. Right? So here's an interesting detail. Breshit Perak Vav. Okay? In Breshit Perak Vav... Um, It says, no, I'm in the wrong pasuk here. Pasuk hey, sorry. Yeah. Fayar Hashem ki adam. Right, the pasuk we quoted before, Hashem sees that, that there's a lot of evil in the world, man is just evil. Ki adam All we do is think bad stuff all day. People are behaving badly, it's all bad. Vayinachem Hashem ki et adam so Hashem regrets this or wants to change this. That's a very difficult philosophical existential question. How can Hashem regret what Hashem does? Not going to go there right now. Come to the tish if you want, right? But Hashem's thought process or mind or heart, again, a very difficult question, 
is etzev. Etzev is the obvious opposite of simcha. Now we call simcha joy, and we call etzev sadness. But we've spoken about simcha. What's simcha? Simcha joy is all about purpose, meaning. So what would etzev be? Lack of purpose. There is no purpose to the world if man is evil. And bemet. Right? If man has failed, there's no point to all of living creation. There's no point to the animals if man has failed. So if man fails, then the animals have to be destroyed. But if man can be saved, if man is redeemed, then the animals have a place. So because Noah is in the ark, we can put some animals in the ark. But because all of mankind is destroyed, we've got to destroy all the animals. That's very interesting, right? Creation has failed. But if you look after the flood, in Perakhet, um, right? same line, whatever Lev Hashem is, is being experienced or brought out after the flood. I will, this is a Pasuk. It's Perak Chet Pasuk Chafalaf. 821. I will no longer curse the earth because of man. Now, the earth is no longer dependent on man. Right? Because just because man, just because man has a Yetzirah and he's bad, doesn't mean the world should suffer. I will not smite all of, all of living creation as I've done. So before the flood, Adam is the pinnacle of creation. All of creation depends on Adam. And if Adam fails, then there's no point to the world. But after the flood, then Adam is a species. He's a part of creation, but the world isn't dependent on Adam. And just because Adam is messed up doesn't mean the world should be destroyed. So we fundamentally changed the way Adam fits into the world and the Adam's relationship with the world. By the way, although we won't have time for this tonight, this has a powerful implication regarding the whole issue today of climate uh, you know, control and climate change and climate challenge and everything else that's going on in the world. What's our relationship to the earth and the world? And there's a lot to learn from this transition. Okay, right? There's a Pasuk in Tehillim, which we say every Shabbos. Tzidkatcha tzedek, right? Or tzidkatcha kehareel. Hashem's tzidkos righteousness is like, is, is, is like the mountains. You know, it's above our understanding. That's one way. This is in Tehillim, Perek Lamed Vav. Umishpatecha toom rabah. And the way you meet out justice is a great deep, again, there's a lot of different interpretations. Adamu veima toshia Hashem. And you will save Adam and animal. Now the Mitsuda Stavrid says, Ata Hashem Adam, beima, Somehow this means that Hashem watches out not just for human beings, but for animals. Every animal is part of God's creation. Hashem worries about them. But listen to what the Medrash says. The Medrash in Breshid Rabbi Lamad Gimel says, Adam Hashem. We will be saved in the merit of the animals. The animals are the reason we get to be saved. So in the world after the flood, we're not just, the animals are not just dependent on us, we're almost dependent on the animals. We, we, we have to fit in with the world, right? So what does this mean? Something else that's interesting. Before the flood, the story of Noah, 
human <laughs> beings function as individuals. Now let's think about this. If the basic mistake of the pre-Diluvian or pre-flood society or world is gazelle, that is the fundamental flaw of a person who sees themselves as the pinnacle of creation and is less concerned with the implications on the world at large, right? Why do societies in general come up with a system to prevent theft? Because a society can't function in a world of theft, right? If I can't rely on the fact that what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, we can't build a society. So somebody who robs inherently is not concerned about society. They're concerned about themselves. Adam lives as an individual. In the world of Migdal Bavel, they're doing exactly the opposite. And that makes sense because we see what happens when the world is focused on the individual. It gets destroyed. So we're going to build a society that precludes the possibility of Gezel. We're going to build a community. We're going to live together in a city. We're going to build a society that's so inherently dependent on each other that it is impossible to undermine that. I had a soldier once. Um, I was a young officer. I couldn't have been more than two or three weeks in my unit. And uh, a couple of the guys came to me. Somebody was stealing. Somebody was stealing stuff. And this was a big deal. You know? Now, I'm a new officer, maybe all of two, three weeks an officer. My, my one bar is still so fresh. It looked like I, I tried to rub it to make it dirtier because it just looked like I was fresh meat. And this was my first big issue. Like, I got a thief in the unit. So you might think, okay, so I said, well, you know, what's he stealing? So one guy had gotten a package. In those days, parents used to send packages because, you know. And um, he had a chocolate bar, and the chocolate bar went missing. Now, part of me is saying, like, like what you might say, like, okay, dude, it's a chocolate bar. You're in the army, you know, you're facing the Syrians. It's a chocolate bar. But let me tell you something. If one soldier in a unit can take a chocolate bar from another guy, that unit is doomed to fail. You can't trust each other. You can't work together. The whole thing falls apart. This is a big deal. Like, you're supposed to be brothers. And that was a very complicated story. And I, 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 it, it took me a while. I caught the thief. And he was a good guy. And I, I had a battle to get him out of the unit. Because he was a good soldier. He was actually one of the best gunners in the battalion. I didn't care. I said, I can't work like this. And it took a lot of work to get him out of the unit. Right? So what do they do, Migdal Pava? Let's build a society. Let's learn to work together. Right? So it's interesting that the first story is about people as individuals. The second story is about people as a community. Now I'll give you one more interesting example of how you notice this, okay? If you look, you know, there are sections of the Torah that like, okay, who hasn't heard of Chetay? Right? And then there's like the section in the Torah that if it's your bar mitzvah parasha, nobody gives a drush on this. I find those sections fascinating because nobody ever talks about that. Right? One of my favorite commentaries is the Nitziv, Natali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, and he always notices this kind of stuff. Right? The Rajbam notices this. So listen to this. Ela Toldot, sorry, wrong passage. Ela Zesefer Toldot Adam. This is Parakei. This is the end of Breshit, more or less. And it's just the generations of man. 
When Pirkei Ava says that there were ten generations from Adam until Noach, they counted it. Shot in the Torah. There are a lot of things you learn from this parak, by the way. And even though now is not the time, I urge you to do this. I'll give you just one example of something you learn from this parak. Okay, the Torah is going to tell me Adam was the first person. He lived 130 years, then he had Shait. He lived X number of years after that, and he had many children, or didn't, or whatever. And then he was 970 years, 930 years old when he died. Okay? Then it tells me how old Shait was. Shait was 110. When, when he had his first child, how old was he when he died? So what do you figure out from this? So you make a chart. You say, Adam starts at zero. He ends at 930. At 130, at the year 130, Shait is born. Now, Shait has X number of years, right? Okay, we can look up what it is. So, by um, Shait Chamesh, right, 105 years, and he gives birth to Enosh. So now, if, if, Shait is, if Adam is 130 when Shait is born, and Shait is 105 when Enosh is born, how old is Adam when Enosh is born? 130 plus 105, 235. And you can go through the generations, and you can figure out who was alive when. And I'll tell you something really interesting. Avram is born before Noah dies. You want to guess how old Avraham was when Noah dies? This is really cool. Pardon? 58. Noah. That's how old Avram was when Noah died. Want to see something else interesting? You know what year, if you add up these years, what year, I don't know what to do with this, but this is like one of those things you're sitting late in the business and it's like 2.30 in the morning, like, whoa! Right? But I don't know what to do with it, but it's stuck in my mind. How many years had the world existed? If Adam starts at Ephes, and you add all this up, when Avram was born, 1948. There's a lot of weird stuff in this parent. But that isn't what, what? Yes, right? Listen to this. The puzzle tells me at the end, after it says how old he was when Shait was born, he was 930 when he dies. The puzzle tells me, it tells me how old Shait was when he died, right? He was 912 years old. And in each of the 10 generations, it tells me how old they are when they die. Now look what happens after the flood. It tells me how old um, Shem was when our Prachshad was born. And it tells me, right, how old our Prachshad was when Shelach was born. But it doesn't tell me how many years they lived. It's the same generations. It's the same parak. This is parak Yudalif. But it doesn't tell me how many years they lived. You know why? Because before the flood, we're dealing with a world that's all about the individual. So the Torah shares with me how old this individual is. This is my life. But after the flood, each individual is not important. What's important is their place in the community. So it doesn't matter how old he was when he died. What matters is that he gave birth to someone, and that that someone gave birth to someone else. By the way, it's interesting. What are the people, there are certain stories about what people did in the generations from Adam until Noah, but in the Torah, there's no stories about the generations of Noah. They're just generations. They didn't do anything. Because the purpose of these individuals was not as individuals. Their purpose was simply to pass it on. They were the generations leading to Avram. They were not about themselves as individuals. They were about my place in the larger community. Which of course brings us back to Migdal Bava. So Migdal Bava fits as the other bookend of this, to- of this story because they're all about building community. So what goes wrong? 
By the way, it's interesting. Rabbi Sachs, in one of his articles, shares that he had the good fortune once to spend some time with Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson's one of the world's most famous historians. And he asked him, if I'm getting the story right, what do you think, he wrote a whole history of the Jews, not a Jew himself, fascinated by the mystery of how the Jews did what they did, where they came from, and why they discovered monotheism and everything else. Um, well worth reading, by the way. And, and he asked Paul Johnson, what did you find to be most unique about the Jewish people? So he said, well, it's interesting. He said, you know what, actually, I have this here. I can quote this for you. Instead of quoting to you, I can read it to you. Much better, right? I once had the opportunity, says Rabbi Sachs, to ask the Catholic writer Paul Johnson what had struck him most about Judaism during the long period that he spent researching it for his mastery history of the Jews. And he replied in roughly these words, there have been in the course of history societies that emphasize the individual, like the secular West today, right? It's all about the individual, right? And there have been others that placed weight on the collective, like communist Russia, China. Judaism, he continued, was the most successful example he knew that managed the delicate balance between both, giving equal weight to individual and collective responsibility. Now that is interesting. Noah is the transition between a pagan world and the beginning of Judaism. And it presents both pieces of that puzzle the power of the individual, and the power of the collective. Now let's take a quick look at the story of Migdal Bava. What is Migdal Bava all about? Why does Hashem scatter Migdal Bava? And again, it's getting late, so we don't have time to get into this. But the Nitziv has a fascinating idea when it comes to sort of what's going on in the world of Migdal Bava. Right? The Medr says that people were more upset when a brick fell than when a human fell. Right? When, the, when the language gets mixed up, they demonstrated they were so focused on building the tower that the tower became more important than the person. Sound familiar? Right? This is the Western sort of capitalist, materialistic world. It's a little scary. Right? Where is that person? On a deeper level, what does it mean, right? You know, the image that comes to my mind, have you ever seen the photos of the Nuremberg rallies, 1930s? Hitler is now the chancellor and he's spreading his demonic Nazi philosophy and hundreds of thousands of Germans. You know, my wife's grandmother, Halal Shalom, was a tzaddikah. She was the niece of the Torah Tamima, the grandniece, the Arach HaShulchan, an incredible human being. And she was born in Germany. And she actually got out very late. She got out after Kristallnacht in 1938. And she managed to get the rest of her family out before she got out. Um, she actually collected a pension, a social security pension from Germany because she worked and she had social security. And that's a whole interesting discussion. And um, she, it was a whole story how she got out. And in fact, the reason she finally managed to get out and threw every, all caution away, not, not that she didn't want to get out, but she needed to save money to, to help the other family get out is because there was an SS officer who took a fancy to her and wanted to date her. And she just decided, okay, that's going to be a little too much because she looked very Aryan. She had like red hair and blue eyes and kind of passed for, for, for a German. And she told my wife that one of the most terrifying experiences from her was that occasionally, you know, like a, a 
a rally would just start up. Some SS general would pass by, or the SS, or something was going on, and everybody would start sigheiling. And she was distinctly uncomfortable sigheiling. It terrified her. She was sure that if she tried to play that game, they would realize that she wasn't enthusiastic. So she would have to hide in an alley or whatever it might be. They were fanatics. Migdal Bavel was about the idea that your individual opinion doesn't matter. It's true that community is good, but community is a double-edged sword. If, if everybody has to have the same opinion, then that's not community. That's terrifying, right? So Hashem splits that up because it's not healthy for people to have that kind of unity. Where do we find the balance between unity on the one hand and diversity on the other? Right? We're going to talk about this later in the year. That is the balance between the Shevet and the Mateh. Right? We have tribes on the one hand, but we're part of a people on the other. Judaism perver- preserves individual sort of ideas, while at the same time buying into a collective. Right? Um, before the flood, man transcends animal. In fact, he doesn't eat animal. Right? He's a vegetarian. After the flood... Man now eats animal. He, he becomes a part of the animal world as one more species. Okay? So, so man, by the way, I'll give you one more example. Man as an animal, right, out of the ark, having learned to live with the animals, gets a covenant. It's actually the first Brit. Right? Who does Hashem make the covenant with? Yeah, that's what everybody thinks. Nope. Check this out. This is mind-boggling. Perak Tet. Ve'et kashti natate be'anan. I will put my rainbow in the cloud. Uh, we don't have time to get into what the rainbow is. That's also fascinating. Ve'aitala'ot brit be'ni uven ha'aretz. This covenant will be between me and the earth. With all living creatures. It's not between us and man, us and God. It's between Hashem and the whole world. Hashem makes a covenant with the earth and all living creatures. Because we now need to learn. We as individuals, we're above animals. And the world can't exist that way. We need to discover the danger of being too stuck in the individual perspective when it's all about me. We're going to learn in Hilcho Deir all the character flaws have as their root that it's all about me. What's the issue with anger? Expectations. All about me. Arrogance? All about me. Dangerous, the world of Adam. But then Migdal Bavel comes along and it teaches us the danger of it's all about us. All about us means everybody has to be, has to do the same thing. All about us means if, if, if you wear a Hawaiian shirt, then you're out of here. Like we can't, there's no, you know, you ever see the life of Brian? We are all individuals, right? Very dangerous, right? Um, by the way, where else do you see this? You see this in Sefer Yonah. At the end of Sefer Yonah, right? There's the famous Mashala Kikayon. I gave a shir on it a few weeks ago, Right? And he says, Vanilo achus, he says to Yonah, you're so worried about this bush that died, should be in Laila Vanilo achus al ninve, what's the word? Um, second. 
ואני לא אחוס על נינווה העיר הגדולה אשר יש בה הרבה משתים עשרה ריבוע, 120,000 people in the city, ובהימה רבה, and many animals. Now the Tanchuma says animals here are wicked people who are like animals, but pshat is, right, that the earth exists because, because of the animal kingdom, because of life, and you're just a part of something bigger than yourself. What is the story of Noach meant to teach me? It's meant to teach me it's not just about me. It's meant to teach me it's something bigger than me. But there's a danger to that. Because if it's all about what's bigger than me, then I don't matter. And that's not true either. And that's why Avram will come along and find that balance. It starts with me as an individual. Lech lecha. You have to become you. But it can't end with you. It has to be about something much bigger than you. Right? And, and, and by the way, why does Noah survive the flood? He actually does not survive the flood because, of, because he was a tzaddik. He doesn't survive the flood because he was tamim. That was what we said before and it's wrong. You know why he survives the flood? He survived the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And Davkufches, it's a great Gemara, but I'll just read you quickly. And the Gemara says like this. This is on Davkufches of an Alf. Tana de Rabbi Shmael. Af al-Noach nechtach zardin. The decree was supposed to fall on Noach also. He was supposed to be destroyed. Because the Pasuk says, I relent that I've made the world. That's the last Pasuk in Breshi. Noach survives because of Chain. Noach survived because he's sweet, because he has grace. Not because he's above animals, because he's sweet, because he's a good person, because he's a good species. That's exactly sort of where the world is going under the world of Noach, right? Lemech names him Noach because he will be Chain. And what does Noach do? What is Noach's mission in life? The Chizkuni says, Adam's years end with Noach's birth. And Lemech felt that what Adam Arishon ruined, Noach is now going to fix. How does he fix that? What does Rashi say? When, when Lemech says, What's the big accomplishment of Noach? According to Rashi, he brings the Medjah right now. He invented, excellent, he invented the plow. He was going to farm the earth. Enough of this about me, and I'm above the world, and I'm meant to control the world, right? Right? You're supposed to rule the world. Now, I'm supposed to be a part of the world. Now I'm supposed to farm the world. In fact, it's interesting. What does Noach do? He gets out of Teva, and he starts planting a carrot. Right? Now, what goes wrong with planting a carrot? Rashi says, Vayachel Noach, right? Vayachel Nilashon Chulin, Vayitakerim. You shouldn't have planted that first. You plant a vineyard, you want wine, that's all about me. But the fact that you're planting means it's not all about me. I'm, I'm part of something that's much bigger than me, right? And I'll just finish with one last idea. So, so what happens? What's the big chiddush in Parshas Noach? What's the big chiddush? What, what do we change? New? What does Hashem give us? It's not true. They existed already in time of Adam, but they're brought here. Give you a hint. Sheva Mitzvah Now the Gemara says there's a big debate whether, whether Adam, it appears that this, this was given to Adam region as well. It could be that he didn't have Avery Nechai, but okay. What are these seven mitzvot? These seven mitzvot represent three ideas. Seven mitzvot are Avodazara, Gilu, Arayos, and Shvichas Damin. You can't be an idolater, right? You can't uh, murder. 
And you can't have licentious behavior. You have to live in a monogamous relationship. Those are three of them. Then you have gezel and dinin, which means that you're not allowed to rob and you have to have courts. And then you have birkas Hashem and aver minachai. Birkas Hashem basically is that you have to believe in monotheism. You have to call out to God, whatever that is. Okay, that's an interesting discussion. By the way, if you want to read a great book, on, uh, which, which is a basic understanding of Shev Mispinoch, there's a fellow named Aaron Lichtenstein, not to be confused with Lichtenstein, same name, who wrote a book called The Seven Noachide Laws. It's a wonderful book, if you want to understand them. But anyway, it's not Lamdish, but whatever. So what are these seven mitzvahs? So think about it. One of them is respect for God. What does it mean that these people, and it was when they came from the East. So you remember I told you in Shia that pshat is about understanding context. When I see a word appears in a different places, I can learn what it means. So where else do I find the concept of kedem? So I'll tell you what comes up in my mind. Right? Like you could just say it means they're somewhere in the mountains of Turkey and Ararat and they're heading westwards or southwestwards, right? You could say that. In fact, you could say that they're, that they're he- well, whatever, that's a long discussion. But who else goes Mikedim? Anybody know? Lot. Lot. Lot goes from the east, right? Baisa Lot Mikedim, and where does he go when he goes from the east? He goes to Stum. He goes down into the valley. Now, this is impossible. Let me tell you why it's impossible. Where was Avram living when Lot goes to Stum? It says, He's in the mountain range, and he looks down on the valley. So where is Avram? He's in the mountains of? Hebron. Okay? Now, if, 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 if this is a map, if this is a map, oh, this actually reminds me, by the way, if anybody missed signing up here, come afterwards. If this is a map, and here is Lebanon, right? And this is, which way are you looking at? Yeah, and this is the sea, Right? And this is the east. And I'm in the central mountain range of Hebron. And I'm looking down towards Stum, right? Dead Sea Valley. Which way am I looking? I'm looking east. I'm looking east towards, towards Jordan. So how could it say that Lot goes from the east? It doesn't make sense. Rashi notices this. So he says, Mikad it doesn't mean he traveled from the east. That's not important. It means he left Mikadam. Kadum is the source. He left the source of reality. He leaves Hashem. So I wonder if one could say here that their journey from the east is an attempt to leave Kadmonoshalam. Now, Chazal don't pick up on this, so I could be wrong. But it makes sense to me. They have an issue with God. Rashi does say this generation, they're rebelling against God. That's why he asked that question. That we mentioned before. So, there are two mitzvot, shvichud damim, oh, sorry, two mitzvot, Zara and birkas Hashem, that are designed to teach me respect for God. Then I have three more mitzvot, gezel, dinin, and gilu arayos. What do you think those three have in common? Not to rob, to have a system of court, and to have healthy relationships. What is that about? That's about respect for life. That's about being part of a community. Right? Uh, sorry, that's about respecting the individual. I live now in the Migdal Bava world, which is all about trying to build community after the disaster of being all focused on the individual. These mitzvot, they remind you of to still have to respect the individual. And the other two, right, are Aver um, Minachai and Shvi Chazdamim. And that teaches me respect for community, not to murder and not to destroy animals. I'm part of something bigger than myself, right? 
Migdal Bavel, according to Rav Shimshon Fal Hirsch, was that individuals were told to serve the community instead of to serve God. And the Tziv says Migdal Bavel, the chait of Migdal Bavel was that, that people became unimportant, bricks became more important than people, ideas became more important than people. Migdal Bavel is communism, right? The world of Adam seems to be Nazi Germany. Avram is going to come and find that balance. And that's the message of Parshas Noah. That's why, you know, sort of all these questions that we asked, that's why, well, whatever. I would just finish off by saying, that's the balance you have to find here. On the one hand, you're, you're in Yeshiva for a year. And it is inherently a selfish endeavor. You are focusing on yourselves to build yourselves, to become the better self that you can be. You're doing it for the right reasons, hopefully, because the world needs you to become the better self. Um, we'll talk about that next week when we talk about Avram. But you're also living in the context of a community. But if you get so focused on the community, you know, it's like every year I'll get somebody who wants to know, I want to volunteer for Mada, but I also want to go to the soup kitchen and I want to help the orphans, etc. And you get so enveloped in all the chesed you can do, you lose yourself. There's, there's no personal growth. It all comes through social action, but you're missing Torah. And then you get the guy who sits in the base manager, he's so focused on his learning the base manager, you know, there's no concern for the community. So he comes back to his room at 2.30 in the morning, but he makes a lot of noise, he wakes up his roommate. And what's, what's the value of all your Torah? Noah teaches us that the world needs to find the balance. And that's, that's what Judaism is all about. It's about finding that healthy balance. It's that we as a people become who we can be, but that we don't forget that it's not just about us, that there's a larger world that we need to care about. So there's a lot to think about here. A little food for thought on Parshat Noah.